At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm also an action researcher. That's my main mode of researching. I'm setting up research projects where I'm in the, the change, supporting the organization in, in, in the change process. And then we collectively and collaboratively try to learn what seemed to work. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is a rainy day here in North Carolina, and we are just waiting for Hurricane Idalia to pass by. For those listeners in the path of this storm, please stay safe. As a reminder, this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Ignite Management Services and Liberty Strength. These sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. Also, I want to encourage you to join us on our growing YouTube channel. Search for Deep Leadership on YouTube for video of all my interviews and exclusive content. Well, that is it. Today we're going to be talking about leading change, and my guest is Johanna Pregmark. Johanna is a researcher, consultant, speaker, and expert in change management. She is a prolific author of academic research in the science of leading teams in change initiatives. Now, I love this conversation, and I know you'll find it interesting as well. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Johanna Pregmark. Johanna is a researcher, consultant, and speaker. She has a PhD in innovation, transformation, and change. But more importantly, she's an expert in change management and organizational transformation. Now, I first learned of her work when I was researching best practices in change management as part of my doctoral program. But I'm honored now to have her on the show to talk about what it takes as a leader to lead change in an organization. So, Johanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an honor to have you on the show. It's an honor to meet you. Um, I love your work. Uh, I have used your, referenced your work many times. And so it's kind of a, an honor to meet you and to have you here in person. Uh, but let's, um, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Now, how did you get into the field of change management, organizational transformation? How did you get into the world of academia, to where you're writing these major research papers. Tell us a little bit about your story. Oh, 
Thank you. I will. And and thank you for that introduction. I wish I could bring you with me all the time so you can introduce <laughs> me. It would sort of boost my confidence. This is great. So thank you for that. Um, well, actually, I, I started I started off as a practitioner working in practice um, and only joined academia a little bit later in my career. I, I started working as a management consultant right after university. And I thought I thought it was going to be quite easy to be working with change. I thought if I just applied my fancy models that I learned and brought all the data and calculated in the right way, I thought I was, you know, going to nail it. And I, I think I learned the hard way that that wasn't really the thing. The thing was the people and the thing was to, to really to really find the strength and the creativity and the, the power of, uh, of the people that was going to change in the organization. And I thought that as a consultant, a later on a leader, um, I never got the chance to dig really deep into why that is so hard. Mm. I constantly read that um, in, from various reports that about 70% of all research initiatives or change initiatives fail. Yes. But I never got to sort of figure out why and what can we do about that? That's that's really tragic. Mm. We can't spend so much time and money and people's energy on so much failure and frustration. We need to do it better. Um, so after 15 years of practice, I decided to... to um, try to, to go into academia and, first of all, to learn so much more um, and maybe bring in some practice perspective into academia, which kind of is needed sometimes, yes. I think. Uh, and also then to, to co-develop maybe new thinking, to, to make things better, basically. And that was like after 15 years of practice. So I did my PhD uh, around um, change and especially around change in this kind of contemporary context where things need to go faster, where we need more of innovation, more of creativity, you know, that kind of world. Um, and wrote my thesis around that. And after that, I I only realized that it's so much more to learn. Um, I thought maybe I would be sort of done. Uh, I'm not at all. So... <laughs> That's also a good thing with academia. I can recommend it because when you sort of, my, one of my best friends and someone I admire a lot and that I work with uh, in academia, he's uh, called Professor Mike Beer at uh, Harvard. He's 87 and he's amazing. He's still super active. We're writing papers together now and he's super curious and want to learn more. And that's, I thought that that, 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 that could be me you know, continuously learn. So, so I like it. That's fantastic. You know, we talked about earlier in the show, you, you know, you, you were a practitioner and then you went into, you know, academia, you got your PhD, you dove deep into the, the, the waters of academia, which is amazing. We talked about my story. I'm 56 and I've dove into those waters now. And, and I think what, for me, at least it was the, it was like a vast ocean of knowledge that existed that I, I'm mad because here I am, 56 years old, been leading people for over 30 years, and here's all this research, here's all this data, here's all this information that I never was exposed to as a practitioner. So I think that um, I think that you said something early on that I thought was interesting was 
you want to bring an, a pr practitioner's approach to academia because I think that's necessary. And I also think it's necessary that academia gets more, you know, viewer, viewership with practitioners. I don't think we do it enough. Occasionally, there'll be a, a, a good researcher. They'll get a book that, it, that goes into mainstream. And so that kind of takes off. Uh, maybe Angela Duckworth with Grit. That's a, maybe an example of a well-researched uh, you know, uh, idea that turned into a popular book. And I think those are great when they bridge, but there's so much, you know, it's hard to describe if you've never spent time doing academic research, but there's just a deep well of knowledge that exists out there that just never gets the light of day, I don't think. So um, I I couldn't agree more. And I think that was actually, I'm still working, you know, as an advisor and, and, and speaking as to, and, and think that it's super important. Not only I, I think it's fun, but I also think it's when I'm out there, I'm, I'm getting the real stories. I'm getting sort of the temperature. What, what is it that they are facing? I think that is super important to continuously have that, that connection. But also, as you say, the other way around. And that was actually something that I think surprised me the most when I when I started doing research, one thing was I went to my first conference and I remember uh, I went into a session and someone asked all the participants, so do you identify as a practitioner or uh, oh. an academic? And I'm yeah. like, I identify with the course. <laughs> I identify with, I want to make, I want to, I want to find better way of of changing and transforming organizations. And especially now when I think it's more important than ever that we as leaders step up and, and lead the change when we have all these, you know, the climate crisis, we have all these things that we need to work towards as leaders. So I don't, I don't, I don't really particularly identify as one or the other. I want to identify as we as a collective trying to make things better. And that was something that in surprised me a bit that, that that kind of divide was so strong. But now I realize it's a divide from both sides, right? So it see, is. people like you and me <laughs> can try to bridge that divide. I think it's great, actually. Yeah, I think it is as well. And I think, I hope through my studies is that I try to bring at least a, a view of this ocean to the general public or to leaders that are, you know, trying to be better. You know, you just got promoted to Maybe you have 12 people in your department. You're now the manager. I want to bring those this, this deep research and bring it to that person to help them be a more successful boss, be a more successful leader. And I think that, um, yeah, I think having 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 both is, it, I think having both is really unique skill set, being both academically strong, but also having that practical experience. I think you can relate to people more. Um, and I think that's really, that's probably why I like your writing so much. Maybe that's why I identified with it so much. When I when I read some of your work, but one of the things I was asking you, you're you're a very prolific researcher. Um, tell us some of the research you've conducted around leading change, or even other topic topics. Well, I would say that that everything I do departs from something that has to do with with change and leading change. Not not only the the leadership per se, but also how to create and as a leader, create an organizational system that is uh, capable of changing, basically. Mm. And, and I think all my research departs from the, the idea that we now live in a world where the older models are not enough. And many of the older models that we use, both, I think, in practice and to some extent in research, they, they, they 
have the basic idea that that the best case is a stable organization. So change is what happened between two stable states. And that's just the messiness in between. And then we're stable yeah. again. And I think that in what we see now is, is a world where we need to prepare our organizations. And as leaders, then we need to prepare our organizations for being in change and, and uh, develop change capabilities that are more continuous and potentially also more emergent. Um, and I think all my research departs from the idea that that, that has implications for what, what kind of things you need to, to think about. For example, I, I'm really interested in the, in, in the idea of, um, of leading an organization that is more entrepreneurial. Mm. We, um, we, we talk a lot in organizations about that we need innovation and entrepreneurship, but but most of the models and the thinking is to create an efficient organization. And that is not necessarily good for the entrepreneurial work. Uh, so corporate entrepreneurship or intrapreneurship is something that I'm really interested in. I've done a lot of work on. We have a master program where I work at Chalmers in Gothenburg. We have a master program where we had around 20 students every year and we throw them out there last year in organizations, large organizations like, I don't know, Volvo or something like that, to drive and lead an in entrepreneurial project in the messiness of the processes and the state gates models and all of that. And I think that is a very interesting concept to see what happens. So, so we've done a lot of research around that. Um, I'm also... Um, I'm also an action researcher. That's my main mode of researching. Okay. That means that um, I'm not super interested in, in just, just noting what had already happened. Uh, yeah. I'm setting up research projects where I'm in the, the change. So I'm supporting the organization together with my, my colleagues and uh, supporting the organization in, in in the change process. And then we collectively and collaboratively try to learn what seemed to work. Doing all these, I mean, I guess this is something you are very, very familiar with, with after actual reviews and continuously doing that as data collection. So we've done a lot about a lot of those kinds of projects in, in transforming industries, like in the media industry or now in medtech, it's super hot to to so many changes when it comes to, to digital, the digital world of medtech. And, and so, so, so it's a lot of different sort of areas, but it all departs from the same question. How can we change better, faster and adapt organizations in a better way? Um, and I think that is, as I said before, I think it's going to be even more important. Um, we also have a, a research center that's called Center for Higher Ambition, where we try to collect organizations or leaders, CEOs and, and other leaders who has the ambition to not only create economic value, but also create social value of some sort um, and help them to develop their organization in order to transform in a good way. So, so I think you can have different facets of, of uh, leading change, but it's, um, it's, it's a lot about how to be able to adapt in faster and more in, in more creative and innovative ways, because I think it's needed in this fast moving world.
It's interesting you you brought it up because I've done actually started looking at the idea of you know instead of preparing a team for change, right? How do we how do we create a team that can change a lot? Yeah, that, yeah. that that is that change becomes the normal way they do we we do business, right? So I I and that's exactly what we were talking about is this this idea yes. of continuous change where it's constantly things are constantly changing instead of having so the old way we looked at change was it's a project we're going to launch yes. the new ERP system and and mm-hmm. here's how we do it and and that's when you know we we were talking earlier in the show that's when the John Cotter you know eight step approach you know that's where we're going to take that but and and really and that traces its roots back to like this Kurt Lewin which is you un unfreeze, you change and you refreeze, right? But the, the fact of the matter is, is that we're doing this on a now on a regular basis. Think about the past five years. What have we had? COVID, we've had economic downturn, supply shortages, we have we've had inflation, we've had all these things. We have a war in Europe. All these things are happening, right? And so change is coming a lot more frequently. And we're asking our teams to be changing a lot more frequently. So I think you're on to something with this idea that it's not just the old school way of doing change, which is a project. That has a beginning yeah. and an end. This is like almost a continuous cycle now, and I'm seeing, and and that's kind of interesting to me. It's almost, and the well, I've been looking at the idea of resiliency and how we build resiliency and change, like they, where we can have teams that can deal with change. I'm an entrepreneur, so I I've had to deal the last the last ten years with constant change, and so how do I build a team that's resilient that can handle change and and still be able to continue forward? So that's something I've been thinking about a lot uh, lately. I think that's really, really good reflections. And I, I think it's, as you said, though, the, going back to these older models with them, the unfreeze, move and, and refreeze. If you would go out and ask in any, if I, you and I would go out now in any organization and say, hi, hey guys, do you feel a bit like you're in a frozen state right now? You know, no organizations almost will say, yeah, everything is like, Super calm, nothing has happened the past years. And I, I think that that has implications again then for how we lead. Um, not only do we need to prepare our organization for being in in a more continuous change where we we can't wait for the next next project, even if of course we have projects, but 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 we can't wait for that to happen. It's not one project and then we done. It's a lot of different initiatives and that's where the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, comes in. But I also think that if you think about those older older models, maybe I'm being a bit unfair now, but it's a little bit when you read about it, like the main change um, trick is that you, if you're a top manager, you know where to go. And right. the trick for change management is if you're going to be good, you're going to get your people to line up and just follow you. Yes. And I, I, I don't think that's going to do the trick anymore. We, we, it's not, it's not going to be those eight people on top of the pyramid that knows everything, or they certainly not going to come up with the best ideas. We know that for sure. Very few of the most groundbreaking and innovative ideas comes from top management. Like, very, very, very. Now um, someone is going to get upset when they hear that, maybe. But <laughs> that's that's actually that's actually true. Most yeah. most of those groundbreaking new things that really changes or the world, or at least the organization, they come from the outskirts or periphery, yeah. and they could be yeah. like scanning work somewhere from someone that's really into into something. And and I think the the work, the job for a leader is 
of course we need those who can say be visionary and all of that. That's not, it's, it's still true to have the purpose of something super true, more true than ever, I'd say. But we also need them to, to create both structures and cultures that encourage ideas, creativity and uh, yes. testing and pilots and mistakes even. And uh, yes. that is different. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by Ignite Management Services. Ignite is led by Mike Watson, who you might remember from episode 137. Mike and his team believe that everything starts with leadership, whether it's strategy execution or cultural transformation. It's the role of the leader to create the conditions for their people to succeed. The team at Ignite can help you develop critical habits to enhance your leadership capability and transform your business. Ignite Management is now offering the Resilient Leadership Assessment Tool. This is an online questionnaire designed to assess and guide leadership development, coaching, and team building. It provides leaders an opportunity to gain insights into their leadership strengths and development needs. After taking this assessment, you will receive a custom detailed report that provides practical and actionable recommendations to enhance your effectiveness. I have taken this assessment myself and found it to be extremely valuable in helping me make changes to my leadership approach. Right now, Ignite is offering 15% off the price of this tool to the deep leadership audience. Go to ignitemanagement.ca and enter the code START15 at checkout to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger at Liberty Strength. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. Your energy skyrockets, your sleep improves, your confidence increases, and more. But how can you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best people for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put liberty strength in your corner. Jeremy and his team will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. I've worked with Liberty Strength for the past two years, and I'm in the best shape of my life, and I'm still hitting strength personal records at 56 years old. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at libertystrengthtx.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
I love that you bring up mistakes. We've talked about this a lot on this show and and, and the idea of the, the power in learning through mistakes. And, and you know, as an entrepreneur, I can tell you I've made a lot of mistakes in this business. And I, I have a corner of my factory where we made some product mistakes that didn't really sell too well. And so, but you know what we learned? Every time we, we made a mistake, it, it was... It was a new iteration to our thought process and the ideas of what's going to win in this market. So I don't consider those as mistakes. I consider them as that that's the cost of learning, that we we learned a lot and we accelerated our learning by actually putting something into the market that failed. We're like, okay, well, that didn't work. So what can we do now? I think so. I think failure is an interesting uh subject that so I did 22 years in corporate, you know, and working for three global companies, and mistakes were not tolerated. Uh, we were not allowed to make mistakes. Everything had to be perfect. And the thing is, I think that's where the learning occurs. That's where the iterative growth occurs when you have yeah. mistakes. And I think you have to have a culture that um, at, at least allows for some sort of experimental learning. That's why I like the idea you're talking about bringing an entrepreneurship inside of these companies to allow those kind of decisions to be made that are quick, that are iterative, that may fail. Uh, but but they're, they're, it's not the end of, end of someone's career when they make a mistake. I think that's something that's that, that you're on to something. I think there. I think that is uh, very very well put, and I think that also brings me to another topic, which is not another topic, but but has another name at least that I'm super interested in, and it's you know the in, in research language it's called the ambidexterity problem. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm writing it using, down. <laughs> using both hands would be an yes. easier way to, to put that. But in, in this context, it's, uh, it usually means at least that you need to, as an organization and then as a leader, you need to allow for the organization to both be super efficient in today's business. And then, then the demands are pretty high. You probably need processes and you need all those state gates and routines and you need to do things the same way as you did before. You can't invent everything yeah, yeah. every day. That's the one hand. But on the other hand, you also need to be creating room for this entrepreneurship, what you said, the, um, the mistakes, the iterations, the, the innov innovations, the creativity. And the tricky part is that the, it's completely different systems that would be super good for the, the, the what usually called exploitation than being good at today's model and exploration. So as a leader, that's also a challenge that many, many, when I talk to organizations, if I go out again and I'm taking Volvo Group as an example, they, they, call, they wouldn't call it the ambidexterity problem because they don't know what that is. But they say we need to be good at both performing and transforming. Some mm -hmm. another organization I work with, they say they need we need to be good at both aligning and adapting. And it's basically the same thing. And the tricky thing is that it's hard to do that at the same time. Yeah. So so that is something it's 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 a huge topic in research. Uh, uh, I, I could I could speak about this for like a week, but it's a huge <laughs> topic because it needs different kind of leadership. It needs different organizational structure potentially. And what you say about the different sort of culture where we need to encourage mistakes and encourage learning and encourage iteration and trust and 
potentially those kinds of things will be the most important leading values, whereas in the other, on the, with the other hand, we need to have, I mean, we can't tolerate mistakes all the time, right? If we yeah, yeah. have these processes that need to run, we need to sort of have a, a, a structure that works for us. So this, these are the tricky questions and that I love. Yeah, it's but interesting. It's tricky it, so that we don't have the perfect solution, but we are working on it. I think it's a really important question to have. I, I have a friend of mine who is uh, who's a big. He's high up in Amazon, and so mm. we we were going on a trip together. And we were talking about this. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a small factory. I know all my employees' birthdays. I know their families. Very entrepreneurial. We're mistake driven. We're you know we're exploring, if you will. We're we're transforming, not necessarily performing, but we're learning, right? And so he said to me, he said, when I build a an Amazon warehouse. I need to hire 5,000 people on day one when the when the business opens. And and they all have to be doing it the Amazon way. We have, to, we have ways that we've studied around the world that are best practices. And we need our, our, our employees doing what we've learned to be best practices. And to me, that was like sort of a wake-up call with this, like, I believe in being more entrepreneurial. But like you said, we have to that warehouse has to open and it has to run with 5,000 people, not necessarily making mistakes and learning from the mistakes, but implementing best practices they've learned throughout the world. So that, so there's where it's a really, to me, it was like a wake-up call with, okay, maybe the idea of, um, you know, just learning and, and discovering and having fun doesn't work when you have 5,000 people you're hiring and have to run on day one. So I think you're right. These are tough questions and, 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 and fun to think about. For sure. It's fun to think about, and it's uh, it's it's fun also because it's sort of an, an um, it's tons of literature. Uh, I can I can give you some some tips, but some of some some of the researchers they really advocate it's too hard. We need to separate. It's not yeah. going to be possible. But that comes with some downsides, right? Because if you separate it, and then then the, the people who are very very explorative and innovative, they come up with brilliant ideas. But it's not going to be easy to have the other 5,000 adopt those and make them theirs. And so it comes with a lot of downsides. But then on the other hand, if everyone, all the 5,000 or 50,000 is going to, going to be both, that also comes with problems. It's going to be easier to, to, to integrate the new ideas. But it's, it's, it's a risk that the new idea is going to sort of be drowning among all these processes and 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 the demand for for uh, performance basically yeah so it's tricky really tricky solve um and and all, uh, another layer on that is that when when it's tough management tends to focus on oh, only on the the performance side or the yeah. exploitive side which is completely understandable but then what happens in two years when you're sort of lagging behind and you haven't worked? Exp- well, yeah, it's a very interesting topic, I think, and I think yeah. many organizations struggle with it. Yeah, I th- that's an interesting. It's such an interesting topic. It wasn't what we we're going to talk about today, but I love it because it's just it's so interesting to me because I do see see the problem on both sides. Um, mm-hmm. Well, the, the question I was going to ask you is you've as you've gone through your research, and I like the fact that you said that you do. Uh, action research, which is, in other words, you're 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 embedded. You're actually watching it, and then you're seeing the results. As you've done those projects over the years, have you been surprised by results? Like, with 
you know, either surprised that your hypothesis was right or surprised that your hypothesis was completely wrong. Or uh, I'm just curious to just, you know, asking a researcher what it's like when you discover a surprise or something sort of interesting that you didn't expect. Well, it's it's a really great question. And I I, I think that, well, it sounds really um, banal, but one of the greatest surprises so far, I think, was that we did... You know what, uh, you remember the students I talked about, the Corporate Entrepreneurship Master yeah. Program. So if they, we send them out to two and two in teams in like then 10 different companies and they collect data. And we've done this now for 10 years. So we have plenty of data and we supervise them. So we also have data from her. So I went through all that data together with my colleague, also Tobias Fredberg, who, uh, who you know a bit. Um, and was the, our research question was what seemed to what seemed to help these initiatives not only thrive this entrepreneurial work not only that they succeed but what what seemed to be the mechanism for them to actually also change the organization to be a part of of driving the organizational change so that this initiative actually influence the organizational path in some way. And I was expecting, again, something uh, that, that the, 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 I mean, I, I'm at a techno, technical university, that there was a really cool technological advances that sort of was so big that everyone was had to adapt to this new idea. I was expecting something tangible, but it was actually quite easy to see, and I'm sure you are not going to be surprised, but the most important thing that came back over and over again over these 10 years, what seemed to make it work was a shared purpose. Mm. And not only a shared purpose, like, you know, of course, not only something that said was, was on paper, but these students, they came back over and over again and said, so we constantly talked about this purpose we sort of, we discussed it and we said like, all right, so this, this thing that we are doing, which seemed to be at odds with what everyone else was doing, it could have created a lot of tension. It seemed to not do that because we were constantly discussing how is, how are we a part of fulfilling our core purpose and not the purpose of making money, something bigger, something stronger, something more powerful. So that was the one that came back. And the next one, is going to be even more simple. That was, the, as one student said, the obscene amount of time that they spent building relationships. Mm. Yeah. So it was the trust and the purpose. And again, I made the mistake and think that it would be something, you know, analytical or tangible or technological or something like that. But it, the two major things was purely relational. Trust purpose, building relations. And that was, yeah, I think it's kind of nice to have the, have the data on it because maybe someone like you have worked for a long time as a leader, you could sense that. But yeah. if you have the data for it, it's easier to sort of motivate for other leaders when I'm advising, but hey, I think you really need to try to build this culture and the trust and, and not only focusing on, on the numbers or on the structures or on the technological advancement. So, so that was one thing that surprised me, actually. 
Well, and, and I think that's consistent with what we're seeing now with, and probably I hate to say the word younger employees or younger workforce, but they do want to see that the organization, A, has a purpose that's not just making money and B, that they're consistent with that purpose, right? And we've seen it play out with a lot of employee protests where they feel like the organization's not living up to their to their stated purpose, right? So we'll see activism within employees, which we've never seen before, which is interesting. So I do, I think, you know, uh, as far as a leader is concerned, every time I've run an organization, it's always to build and communicate a, a purpose that we're all doing together, and then also to build those relationships, which would also which creates trust in the organization. So intuitively, it makes sense to me. But like I like you said, when you have the data to back it up, then it's your, you've got a lot more that you can work with in terms of convincing people why. Especially, you know, I would say this maybe. Uh, older school managers who said, well, no, we it's never been, I've never had to do that in the past. You know, it's always been about if we take care of the shareholders, everything else works out. But but it's not really the case nowadays. I don't think I think I think you're on to something with this respect to the the idea of purpose. I think it's much more important now for younger employees that there is a purpose, that they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves and that they believe in that purpose. And then there's consistency between what what the company says and what they actually do. And that whenever that when that breaks down, I think that's when people get in trouble, where companies get in trouble with not living up to their purpose. I think that's Absolutely. a problem. Yeah. And I also think this is not my field, but I'm very interested in 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 the neuroscience and those kind of that kind of sphere. And and um there's plenty of research from that field actually showing by you know looking at the brains of people um that Purpose is one of the strongest motivators for not only that is fun and but also to produce results. Mm. So if you really feel, really feel about the purpose, that is something meaningful. It's not only to make make the workplace, you know, nicer and more fun. It's also actually create higher performance. And it was it is a brilliant book by um, uh, a guy called um, Dan Cable. That shows this in in a really neat way and easy to read, but it is a fantastic researcher at London School of Economics. I think it's called Alive at Work. It's really great. Okay, we'll look that up and put a link in the show notes for that too. Alive at Work. I'll I'll look that up, put that in there. So, uh, great great resource resource there. Um, with respect to the the findings you've had on on uh, on trust and purpose, have you written anything yet on that subject? I'm just curious, so that we all can read it. Yes. Uh, around that one, I we have um, we have a book chapter in in a book um, book series called Research and Organizational Change and Development, and the book chapter is called When the Seed Changes the Soil. Uh, yeah. Seed then being the entrepreneurial initiative and the changing the organizational system that would then be the soil. So that is respect for that, and then I also. Inspired by that, I started a research project that I I, I know we discussed a little bit, um, where uh, which is an open source um, article called in, "In the Learning Organization: Renewing Models for Change." Is that um, paper called? That was actually inspired of those thoughts. But I did a lot of work with leaders and tried to figure out how how a new model for change could look um, and with much more stronger emphasis on trust and purpose, actually. Okay. Well, we're going to put links uh, in the show notes for those. I did see that 
uh, chapter when the sea changed the soil when I was doing a little research before this. Ah. I saw that one. So, yeah, so that's good. What was the last uh, paper you, you, you mentioned? I think uh, the last title. paper I mentioned was um, it's called Renewing Models for Change. Um, and that's easy to Google. So, okay. um, it's in the learning organization, is the journal. Okay. And I actually got some criti- critical voices on that one first because it was too adapted for practitioners and I refused to change it. So, if it's any practitioners out there, I'll put it for you guys. <laughs> well, there's mostly practitioners out there. So, we're definitely going to put a link in the show notes for that. So, the renewing models for change, we'll put that in there. So, um, well, this has been great. Is there anything, you know, final words you want to share with our, our viewing audience that uh, might be interesting, you know, talk about? Well, I think that it's, it's um, you know, when um, what we talked about a little bit also before, you know, when we, we live in a time, in terrible times in some respects, you know, with a war, we just came out of COVID. We have a different sort of crisis here and there. And what we see in various sort of global surveys is that less people trust in government to do something about it and more people trust in um, leaders and organizations to step up and do good stuff, be good companies. And uh, to be do that, we need to be change leaders, I think. Uh, so I think we really, all of you guys, have an important job to do, to lead good change in a good way. And it's uh, tricky, but I, 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 I think it's super important in the times we're in right now. Hmm. Powerful message. I couldn't agree with that one more. So how can our listeners find out more about you and any of your research? Well, luckily my, my, uh, my name is very unusual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so that's easy to find. I'm at Chalmers University, so it's easy to look me up there or feel free to look up, look me up at LinkedIn. If you're using that, if you would like to connect, uh, Please mention that you heard me on this show because then I promise I will be swift. <laughs> and feel free to, to, to connect if you would like. Absolutely. We'll put links in the show notes for those resources and also for the, for the papers in the book that uh, uh, we mentioned in, uh, throughout the discussion. Joanna, this has been fascinating. Again, it's, it's so exciting to meet you, to hear you know, your words. I've read, I've read your words, but to meet you and hear what the research you're doing is very exciting for me. And I know that you're going to leave a lot for our listeners to think about. So thanks for coming on the show and thanks for sharing your, your expertise. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was been great. Thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. 
See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Electric Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast.